Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff. And I'm grateful that you're here today to listen to episode 140 with Christina Fink. Now, I just came back from a week in Orlando at the Association for Applied Sports Psychology Conference. That's sort of like my conference, the one I've been going to for about 20 years. And I love that conference because we just learn and exchange ideas. And I got to see Christina again at the conference, even though I had interviewed her a few weeks ago. And and to start off, I'd like to tell you a little bit about how I first met Christina. So Christina and I were both invited to the Pro Summit. It was sponsored by the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. We were both invited to the summit where it was all professionals in sports psychology who work with pro teams. And we were invited to this summit in August in Florida. And, and there we exchanged ideas. We got to know each other with you know the other people who work in pro sport in the room. And, and we got to really talk about the field and the direction of the field. And I was so impressed with Christina, Christina's ideas, her application, and also her energy. And that's why I thought it would be really helpful for um, me to ask her on this podcast so you could learn more about the work she does, but also uh, how to apply it to your life and to your sport if you play sport or coach sport. And now let me tell you a little bit about Christina's background. It's very impressive. She is a highly experienced sports psychologist with over 20 years of experience in teaching, counseling, and sport administration. Her clients include Olympic medalists, and world champions, as well as professional and national soccer teams. So one professional team she works with is the soccer team Philadelphia Union, where she works directly with the first team athletes. Now she was a sports psychologist for several teams in the 2000, 2004, and 2008 Olympics, including the sports like synchronized swimming, track and field, pentathlon, swimming and diving, archery, taekwondo, and soccer. Now, what's also cool about Christina is she is also an Olympian. She competed in two Olympic Games, Seoul in 1998 and Barcelona in 1992, and held the Mexican high jump record with a jump of 6 feet 4 inches. She held that record for 22 years. Isn't that amazing? So in this interview, we talk a lot of things related to her bio. We talk about her experiences competing at the Olympics the importance of what she calls psychological flexibility. She also describes an exercise that you can use outside of sport and inside of sport called the possible stressful situation exercise, why we should all take responsibility for our behavior, and three questions to ask ourselves to get better. My two favorite quotes from this interview include, quote, you can't control how you think and feel, but you can manage it. And she also says, thoughts are just thoughts. You decide if you're going to pay attention to them or not. Before we head over to the interview, I'd like to read a comment and rating on iTunes. This comment is from Mitzi. She says, your positive grit is contagious. She says, thanks for sharing the deep insights with practical strategies to go for the challenges we pursue and handle the obstacles that come along our way to help us keep excited and passionate and agile in our life keep them coming. You bet, Mitzi, I'll keep them coming. Now today, if you enjoyed this interview, what I'd encourage you to do, what would be amazing if you could do, is if you could share this podcast with one other person. Tell them about the podcast. Help us continue to grow the podcast. You could tweet about the podcast or share it on social media, or you could head over like Mitzi did to iTunes and provide a comment or rating. That would be incredibly helpful. All right, so without further ado, Let's bring on Christina. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset, Christina Fink. I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have a chat with you. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to talking to you more about mental training and sports psychology. I know we met first at the ASP Pro Summit sometime in August, and we are talking more about pro sport. So I'm just looking forward to talking to you more about how you do your work and and how you can help us even learn more about how to do good work in our fields. Very exciting. Um, Yeah, I was was very happy to meet you uh, back in August and looking forward to contributing. 
<laughs> awesome. So let's start off, Christina, and tell us a little bit about your passion and, and what you do now. I am a performance psychologist. I have, so my biggest passion is actually getting people to perform at their best, no matter what it is that they're doing. Um, so I make a very, I make it very clear uh, that I, even though I have a psychology background, I am more about performance psychology than anything else. So I really, I really like and enjoy working with people who want to get better at whatever it is that they're doing. Um, so it's really about, about awareness and getting you to understand what works for you and, 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 and what are things that hinder your performance. And do you work mostly just with athletes at this point? Um, so I work with athletes and I also do some business coaching. So I do both and it's, it's, it's a nice, um, it's, it's nice to keep those balanced. Uh, I work mostly with, uh, athletes and I, and I like to have a combination of, uh, youth development where I work a lot with coaches and then I do, uh, I do work with the Philadelphia union with their first and second team. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Maybe to start us off, Christina, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the field and just in terms of, you know, where, I know you got your master's and your, your PhD in Spain. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you briefly got to where you are now. So I am originally from Mexico and I, um, started with I, I really wanted to do psychology I wanted to do clinical psychology or that's what I thought at first <laughs> and um, started working studying you know clinical psych and then realized very quickly being an athlete I'm, I'm a two-time Olympian I competed in 1988 and 1992 Olympics I realized that I actually wanted to get into sports psychology and performance psychology and see what that was all about I had a really, really good experience in the 1988 Olympics and not a great one in the 92 Olympics, so didn't perform as well as I wanted to in 1992. And at first kind of thought, like, I can't really do this because I'm, I didn't have a good experience in, in one Olympic game, so I didn't think that I would have much credibility. Um, decided to get a master's and a PhD in performance psychology and discovered working with athletes uh, while I was doing it that most athletes uh, decided that I had more credibility because I had gone through the good and the bad. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. At the level, the Olympics. <laughs> so tell us a little about, Christina, just like your experience during those Olympic Games. What made the 88 Games in Seoul you know, great versus the Barcelona games in 92, not so great. And you were, you were a high jumper, right? I was a high jumper, yes. Yeah. Um, and so in 88, I was actually training uh, with Bob Myers at the University of Arizona. Um, I did my, my undergrad there and uh, actually worked with Jean Williams. She, I was in a class with her and uh, a peak performance class and actually started getting into what are things, you know, how do you define goals and what are things that you can do? How do you prepare and all of these things, right? And so I was able to see uh, a little bit, you know, get a little bit more into routines and what I needed to do. Uh, by the 92 Olympic Games, I was uh, back in Mexico and the coach that I had had for several years um, after the 88 Olympics um, actually had to go back to Poland. Uh, and I ended up changing coaches about eight, uh, about eight months before the Olympic Games. Okay. And there were a lot of things that didn't go well that I felt like um, obviously in hindsight, I feel like, oh, I should have done this or that. I ended up, uh, having peaking before the Olympics, having to jump to, you know, to qualify and do all these things way before the Olympics. And then by the time I got to the Olympics, I was really burned out. Mm. And instead of, instead of backing off and understanding that what I needed was rest to be better prepared at the Olympics, I decided that I needed to train more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mistake that a lot of athletes make. So, so I was able to really see firsthand, you know, how sometimes you really do need to listen to your body and and give yourself some time to recover. So, looking back, what would you have done differently then in the '92 Olympics? Because I think one thing that you mentioned, which I think is a, you know, a really incredible stressor, is like the coaching change and. 
I'm sure that wasn't easy to deal with. So when you look back at, you know, just being overtrained and burnt out, what would you have done differently? Um, I don't know that there were a lot of things that I could have done differently. Um, I think that I would have uh, really, really tried to um, listen to my own experience more than what everybody else was telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, even the new coach, you know, telling me I, I really liked the coach, but you know, he was like, Oh no, we need to do more of this and more of that. And I kind of felt like I didn't need to do that. I felt like I was really tired. And instead of listening to myself, I kind of put, you know, kind of went like, yeah, you tell me what to do. So it was almost like not taking the responsibility of saying, no, I'm going to go with what I'm feeling. So I really stress the fact that you need to be you know, ultimately you're responsible for your performance. So you need to be, to make sure that you're where you need to be. Absolutely. And how do you think athletes do that? You know, when you think about your own experiences or how you teach athletes to do that, what do you think? I think that part of it has to do with, so one of the things that I actually learned uh, in my, you know, in my career, so I went to two Olympic games as, a, as an athlete, but I've been to three Olympic games as a performance psychologist. And one of the things that I make sure that I, because athletes will say to me, well, you know how it feels. And I, and I say, I know how it felt for me. I don't know how it feels for you. So you need to tell me. So it's actually getting athletes to, to you verbalize and you need to understand how it feels for you instead of letting other people tell you how you should feel or what you should be feeling. It's about you taking the responsibility of how does it feel for me right now? Absolutely. That's a really good point. So being self-aware and paying attention to how it feels, I think sometimes we just like keep pushing, keep pushing, and we don't sit back and think about, you know, what am I experiencing right now? How does my body feel? You know, what's going through my mind? And we just keep pushing. Exactly, exactly. And then, and, and, and so many times, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear whenever I, whenever I ask, what could you, what would you do? Like, what are some of the things that you need to do? Almost everybody says, uh, work hard, or work harder. Right. And sometimes it's, you know, I mean, we've heard it time and time again, sometimes it's work smarter, or sometimes it's rest. <laughs> so it's not just about working hard. Yeah. 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 Well, Christina, one of the things I really want to talk to you about is, when you look at your own experience being successful at the Olympics, but also, you know, like you've gone to the Olympics, you know, three times with national teams. So what do you think allows people to be successful at that level? Like what are the mental skills or the mental tools they need to use to be successful in the moment that can be really a lot of pressure? I actually think that one of the hardest things to learn and one of the biggest advantages that you can have at that level is in order to get to that level, you really, really need to be quite perfectionistic. And I mean, if you gave a personality test to any of these athletes, and just like if you are working with CEOs at the highest level, all of them have a little bit of this, you know, perfectionism and a little bit almost of, uh, of obsessive compulsive, you know, like where these things need to happen and this is how it needs to be. Uh, yet they also need to be flexible. And those are things that sometimes don't combine very well. (laughs) The most successful athletes uh, that I have seen are athletes that are psychologically flexible, where, you know, yes, things are, you're prepared for all these different things, but if this doesn't go exactly the way you want to, you can actually be flexible and change, you know, have some little tweaks uh, so that you are prepared for when things are not exactly the way you want them to be. Awesome. So that the best athletes are psychologically flexible. I like, I like that terminology, but it's also very clear that they have really high expectations for themselves, which I, I agree, Christina, when I think of the best athletes I've had the privilege of working with, like they have very high standards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into like psychologically flexible. How do you think when you, when you describe that, just like tell us a bit more about, you know, how, how that appears an athlete when you see them being psychologically flexible. So one of the things that I do is I work with in, in specific cases, you know, when you're working with, for example, an Olympic athlete and it's an individual sport, we work through a, through different scenarios. Right. And so this is like, this is your ideal scenario. This is your realistic scenario. (laughs) 
and this is like a pessimistic scenario, right? And then we go through a list of possible stressful situations, and we go through how do you feel and think in these moments, and then what do you do with that? Um, so after, and, and there's a third step to it, so what should you do with it? And sometimes what they do is already what they should be doing, but sometimes they realize, oh, I'm not reacting in a, in a flexible way. I'm just kind of getting stuck in, if it's not this way, it won't work. And so once they realize that, they can actually say, okay, this is what I think and feel, but this is what I can do about it. So actually kind of coming up with different strategies to, you don't control what you think and feel, but you can definitely manage it. When I can describe, oh my God, this makes me so angry, but in this moment, that doesn't help. So yes, it makes me angry, but I can refocus and I can focus on what I can control. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you give us an example of maybe, and you don't have to tell us names, but you know, an athlete that you've worked with where, you know, perhaps maybe getting ready for the Olympics or a major competition, they might have, you know, maybe expected to get first or second, but then they get into the event and maybe they, they're placing 10th, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of what you're describing as being psychologically flexible and, and, and like being able to do anything. Can you give us an example of, you know, how this actually plays out in real life? Yeah, so I had, uh, so I can give you a couple of examples. I had an athlete who was so stressed about qualifying for the Olympics that uh, they kept saying that they wouldn't, that they didn't want to talk about it, that that could not, they could, it couldn't happen that they didn't qualify. Um, and this is three months before the qualifier, right? And I just said, well, you actually could not qualify. You know, it's, it's actually possible that you could not qualify. Uh, and this athlete kept saying, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about that because that's not possible. I have to qualify. And I just said, well, it is possible and I'm just putting it out there. Um, and you can do with it whatever you want. I just think it's better if we talk about it now than if, you, than if it happens, if you come to this realization the day of the event. Right. Because then we really don't have time to deal with it. And he got very upset with me and said that he didn't want to talk about it and left my office. Okay. <laughs> He came back two days later and said, fine, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so, uh, so we started talking about different scenarios of what would that possibility look like and what would happen if you are not doing as well after, you know, this is a, 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 an event that has several steps to it. And so, uh, um, so what happens if you, if you don't do well in the first event and what happens if you don't do well in the second event? How are you going to manage you know, your expectation going into the third or fourth event. And so how are you going to deal with that, right? And so we dealt with all of that. And uh, in the first event, he didn't have the result that he wanted, but he was able to focus on what he could do for the second, third, fourth event and actually was able to manage um, what he needed to do because he was ready for, and the fact that you're ready for it doesn't mean that you're looking for it. It just means that you have different strategies to deal with when things don't go your way. That's one of the things that coaches sometimes say, like, oh, don't put things in their head. I'm like, I'm not putting it in their head. It's already there. And if we actually deal with it instead of trying to hide it or try to push it away, we can actually do something about it. Yeah, that was really good. So you said it doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but it's just that you're ready for it. Is that what you said? Yes, yes, exactly. And so when he didn't have, and, and you know, the first event didn't go 100% his way, it went like 85% his way, but it wasn't like, so, but he was ready for it. Like, okay, it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough to get me okay into the second phase. Where I think if we hadn't talked about it, and he commented about this afterwards, he said, if we hadn't talked about it the way we did, I would have been so stressed not getting you know, a better result than the first event that I would have been so upset that I don't know that my mindset would have been right for the second event. Absolutely. So by talking about it beforehand and being ready for any scenario, he was more confident they could handle anything and had already like thought about how he wanted to think and feel, or, you know, what he should do is what was used. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I had another athlete who would be who would get much more stressed in the qualifying and semifinal than in the final because he knew that he belonged in the final. You know, this is a very, very competitive, very, uh, who, an athlete who had really, really good results at the Olympics. And so he was used to, you know, like when I'm in the final, I'm completely re relaxed and I know that I can do what I, what I know how to do. 
but the qualifying and the semifinals were super stressful for him. So it was like a little bit of, okay, so how do we deal with that? You know, so how are you going to deal with that stress? And, 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 and it's about being real with yourself, you know, about admitting that you do get stressed and that there, it, that, that there is a lot of anxiety and that you are more afraid of losing than being afraid of losing was stronger than, than wanting to win. <laughs> losing was unbearable. Yeah, losing was unbearable. Yeah, that, that's really important. You know, Christina, you said something earlier that I want to touch on a little bit more. And you said, you can't control how you think and feel, but you can manage it. Tell us about your philosophy on that. Well, so many times, so many times I hear people talking about, you know, people in our, in our field saying, you know, when you get a negative thought, uh, for me to start off with, thoughts are just thoughts. They're not negative or positive. We put, you know, we give them the connotation that we want. So um, thoughts keep popping into your head no matter what. Uh, and then you decide if you pay attention to them or not. And then, and feelings are the same way. You know, I use the example with, with especially with team sports where, you know, a ref makes a bad call. And um, I usually play some videos for, you know, players that I'm working with. And I say, how many bad calls do you get, you know, in a game? And they mention, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a World Cup, the Olympics, you know, whatever it is that they're playing, you know, or, or, a, or a league game, you know, you get several bad calls. And so does it make you, does it upset you? Well, yeah, it could make you angry, you know, with, but you don't control that. You know, the feeling that you get, you don't control, but what you do with it, you can control. So you can go and yell at the ref and get a card for that, or you can actually take a deep breath, refocus, and keep playing. Right. So that's, you know, the feeling, the, the, the anger that you feel in the pit of your stomach or whatever, it's going to be there no matter what, but what you do with it, you can actually manage. You can control what you do with it. So you can't control the feeling or the thought, but you can control the behavior. Absolutely. You can, you can control what you do with it and if you pay attention to it and if you need to manage it. So tell us, okay, so you said, you know, being psychologically flexible is one of the traits of, you know, of people who do really well at the Olympics. What would you say are other are characteristics of those who, who do well and how do they differ? I think it's people who are really, really uh, responsible for their own behavior. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, usually, it's, it's usually athletes who are not looking for, you know, well, yeah, I didn't get the lane that I wanted, or I didn't get the, it's like, okay, these are the circumstances, and they really focus on what they, what's under their control, and so what do I control, what, what do I manage, and how do I, how do I do that, it's people who have learned to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, it is uncomfortable, I, I had an athlete who's, who had really, really good results at the Olympics, saying that he would get upset every time that somebody said, um, oh, have fun, at the Olympics, right? He said, the Olympics are not fun, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's a roller coaster of emotions and feelings and, and, and high pressure. And so you don't have fun, but you learn to enjoy it. You know, you learn to enjoy that, that, that almost like that uncomfortable feeling where I do feel like I'm stretched and I have to push myself and I have to get myself in there. And am I, am I afraid at times a little bit, but I can manage it. And so having kind of like that, enjoyment of of being able to perform even when things are not going exactly your way is is something that i think distinguishes these athletes and 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 again it comes back to how how do you prepare for it how much responsibility do you take for it so athletes that are responsible and accountable and that are not looking for excuses i find uh are usually a lot more productive and and, and usually perform better yeah, absolutely. You said something about, you know, that it can be a roller coaster of emotions. How do you think that the best handle those emotions? I think that, that actually being mindful of what is it that I'm feeling, if, if, you, if, you can, if you can name what it is that you're feeling and kind of going back into the why, you, you get a little bit of a better sense of it. The other thing that, that I've worked with athletes is what do we need to do with that feeling right now? Is that something that we really need to address or can that go to the back burner? So if you have a situation, you know, athletes are human. <laughs> and so they have lives, right? So sometimes they're not getting along with a partner or a parent or a coach or something like that. And for me, it's can we, can we find um, peace 
in this moment for this performance can we actually focus on the performance so that you can so that you can uh, get through this event and so at times it has been about being mindful about being in the moment and yes I can name this emotion but I'm gonna almost like put it on hold because it's not helping me right now yeah right so um, and, and that's not to say that, you know, that you need to be a machine and that you just compartmentalize and, and this is what you do and that's how you perform. It, it's more about what I have worked uh, for, you know, just seeing some of the athletes that, you know, the Olympics are every four years. And so you've worked so hard for all of these things. You need to make sure that, that, that you're doing this for you. Uh, because in the end, you know, you want to perform really well for you, then you want to perform really well for your coach, for your family, for your country. But the first person is, you know, uh, and, and I don't think it, athletes need to think about themselves. Yeah. You know, I, I want to do this well for me. And when you think about yourself, Christina, and competing at the 88 and then the 92 Olympics, what, what do you think, you know, were your mental characteristics, traits, like what allowed you to do really well in the moment? I think that, I think that some of the things that I did well was I was, uh, I was pretty, pretty responsible for, for what I needed to do and how I wanted to address the Olympics. I had really clear routines. I had, I, I was able to manage, I, I thought about, you know, if I wanted to go to the opening ceremony or not and how that was going to affect me because it's an emotional, there's an emotional component to that. So do I have enough time to recover from, from one thing to the next, right? Because there's all of these different things that the Olympic Village can be pretty distracting. So I was really prepared for all of that. And so I think all of that really helped um, in, in my performance um, in the 88 Olympics. Um, in the 92 Olympics, even though I wasn't, physically able to perform well I still think that I was strong mentally to say I'm um, I mean I wish I had rested a little bit more for sure but I uh, I actually was proud of of how I handled it because I was still able to get out there and 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 really do do everything that I could do with what I had that day for sure and that's all you can do, right? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. What you can with what you have. So, yeah. Uh, and you couldn't have changed if you rested or not at the time you got got there. You know, you had to do what you could and do the best that you could. Yeah. When you think about you know your own roller coaster of emotions, how was that for you during those two Olympic games? Um, I think that it was one of those where uh, in uh, and that's one of the things that I when I'm working with different with different um, coaches and different, I, I really try to focus on, on what's the environment that you're creating for your athlete and, 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 and as a federation or as an NGB, you know, like what, what, what are you focusing on? Uh, I remember in the 88 Olympics, we had a really positive atmosphere. It was really good. In the 92 Olympics, Mexico started off really poorly with, as far as medals, you know, people that were supposed to medal weren't meddling. And instead of managing that, you know, the head of the delegation, they were putting all of these newspapers all over uh, uh, that said, how poorly we were all doing right and so there was almost like a sense of gloom around sure. us and so that was that's something that I talk about how you can avoid now fast forward to 2017 um, they don't even have to do that now with social media one of the things that I work with athletes is what do you really want to be putting out there and how much do you really want to get into it because it's one more thing that we need to deal with Absolutely. because because social media can be, you know, it can be really good and it can be beneficial. At the same time, it can be really, really, I mean, it can consume a lot of your time. It, people tend to be really, really, I mean, when people don't, when it's anonymous, people tend to be a lot nastier and they will write things like you should, I mean, you, you should really be ashamed of yourself or, or even worse things that they, that they write on social media, right? I mean, after somebody doesn't perform well. Um, even athletes that have heard things like, oh, you should die or, you know, things like that. And, and, and it's horrible, but it's, it's a reality of what we deal with today, with athletes today. So I think we really need to prepare them for that because it's, uh, it can be very, very, it, it can be uplifting, but it could, in most cases, it can be very devastating. 
It can. I, you know, Christine, I do a lot of work in the NFL and that's one of the things that I notice a lot, like so much hate coming at these guys and, you know, they, they don't try to make a mistake on the field, right? I mean, thinking about some people who've gotten death threats and, and a lot of the guys that I work with, like they just decide to close their social media accounts. You know, what, what are ways that you help your people, you know, the athletes that you're working with or the coaches you're working with manage that? Like, do they stay on social media or do they just, you know, decide how, how they're going to use it before they get to the game? So they've thought, thought about that and they're prepared. So we talk a lot about that. And, and I mean, my suggestion is the same as yours, like just close it. I mean, it's really not worth it. But in some cases, I don't know if this has happened to you. In some cases, the athlete has closed it, but their partner hasn't. Mm. And so a lot of times, I mean, I've had, I've had wives who get super upset and who get into it and who get, you know, are, are, are saying things like to defend their, their, their spouse or their partner. And, and then it ends up, you know, getting a lot bigger. And so um, if, if we can, I mean, I suggest that, that they stay out of it, but there are, there are people who really, really like it. And it's a, important part for them so how do you manage it again because it's a really big thing that you don't control so how do you manage it and how many how many hours are you going to spend on it and what do you really want to post what image do you want to have out there and so we talk a lot about that yeah that's really important I think nowadays when it's like you're right people get so mean when they can put something anonymous and they, they don't realize that these are real people you know I had one person I worked with who was really uh, just consumed by social media and it, it drastically impacted his performance. So, you know, it's something we definitely need to help athletes with. Christina, when you, when you think about the Philadelphia Union soccer team that you work with, tell us a little bit about that and what type of work you do. So I work with both their academy and their first team and um, really it's uh, it's just a very open environment where where people understand that it is about performance psychology. So so it's it's very open to. Um, I speak with most with almost all of the players because they understand that I'm here to help them perform better. It's not about you know clinical psychology or, or something going wrong and I think that it helps a lot that I have a very good relationship with the coaches and the coaches understand what I do really well so so that's that makes my job a lot easier yeah that's great you know when you think about not everybody listening might understand soccer so tell us the difference between like the first team and the academy and just tell us a little bit more about that how that's structured so the academy we have we have a we have an academy that starts with an under 12 team and it goes all the way to under 19s so it's really um, it's seven different teams that we have at those you know different ages and and working uh, mostly through the coaches with all of those groups but I also uh, I also go into their video sessions and watch some of the training and I'm, and I'm able to address some of the things, you know, the, the boys will have certain goals or th certain things that they want to do. And I'm at times, you know, just talking to them and, and making sure that they are holding themselves accountable for, you know, is what you say and what you do uh, in line? <laughs> or are you yeah. saying that you would like to do this, but then you don't really, you know, then you're kind of just joking around and training and stuff like that. So that's more at the academy level. Then we have a second team, which is kind of in between uh, the academy and the first team. So in that team, we have uh, certain players that are part of the Bethlehem Steel, but then our academy players are able to play up. And some of our first team players, when they're coming back from injury or they are not getting a lot of playing time in the first team, can play in that second team. So we have a really good transition team for, you know, some of our academy players moving up and getting to play with first team players and stuff like that. So it's actually that's where you know we're we're working with with the uh, with the players and the coaches into what are the expectations in that when you're in that team right and then obviously with the first team with the first team you know it's about results and and how do you how do you manage you know playing time and 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 when players are not getting all the playing time that they want, how do they handle that? Because a lot of times it's about, yes, you need to understand your role and you need to play at the best, you know, the best that you can. Uh, and, and the fact that you understand your role doesn't mean that you like it. It means that you understand it and you perform at your best at that role because that's going to help you move up. 
So when you think about you know, the individual work you do with athletes on the Philadelphia Union soccer team, the first team or the academy, can you describe like a mental training topic that you always cover, you know, with the soccer team or, you know, with the, some of the other Olympic athletes that you work with? Is there a topic that you always talk about? And tell us, you know, why that topic is important to you. So we talk a lot about process because uh, it doesn't matter who I'm working with, whether it's with the Philadelphia Union or uh, when I was working with U.S. Track and Field or, you know, any team that I'm working with. When, when we talk about what's your goal and what do you value, right? So, so we can talk about the goal and what they value, and then we go into like, okay, so in order to achieve that goal, what does the performance look like? What, what do you need to be doing specifically? And then we go into, into the process. So what is it specifically that you do every day that contributes to that goal, to that vision that you have? To how, how are you going to get better so that you can perform well? And when you bring it down to the process, it really brings it down to things that you can actually control and things that you can do every day and that you can actually check to see if you're holding yourself responsible and accountable for. Um, I talk quite a bit with, with athletes that are having, uh, when they say I had a bad day, I said, How, what did you do to make it better? You know, because because you can get stuck in I'm having a bad day. When you start with the warm up, you could say, oh, I'm not where I need to be. And I say, what happens if at the Olympics or at a game, that's how you feel? How are you going to get yourself out of that? Well, in training, when you're training, you actually need to say, Oof, not having the best day. Okay, what, what can I focus on? And can I focus on doing these one or two things better? And if I can do these one or two things better, you usually can turn it around and then you have maybe not an awesome day, but a, but a good day. Absolutely. Instead of throwing in the towel, because you wouldn't do that during competition anyway. It's just like you're training yourself to keep going and keep going despite not feeling perfect. Exactly. And that's something that, you know, that we, that we do constantly. You know, I mean, I had, I had an athlete come into my office once and say, um, this is the first time that he was, he was in my office. And he said, um, I'm, I'm tired of having to prove myself every day. And I started laughing and I said, and I, I, I started laughing. I mean, I don't mean to make fun of, but I said, okay, so if I don't say something that's helpful to you today, will you come back? And he said, probably not. And I said, I probably have to prove myself to you today. So he had a good laugh about that. And we, we just kind of established, yes, you know, when you're in this high level and when you're competing at this level, you do need to prove. You, and it's not a question of proving yourself every day. It's just, yes, you do have to perform, you know. And so when you have to perform, what are the things that, again, what are the things that you can control? What are the things that you can manage? And how do you do that? Right. And then when you focus on the process, that decreases the anxiety and increases confidence because you're focusing on things that you can control and you can measure. Absolutely. And then, and then you're actually, and then, and then you start seeing things that don't go as well. You know, you start seeing mistakes as things that you can actually improve upon rather than something that's going to make you so much worse, you know. So when you start having a little bit of, you know, of, of that mindset that, yes, I can, I can learn and I can grow rather than feeling like, oh, my God, I'm limited and I can't do this, you know, it, it, it definitely helps to have that mindset of, of that openness to learning and growing every day. Yeah, that's really important. And it helps just continue to improve if you're always looking for what did you learn instead of beating yourself up after the mistake or failure. Um, exactly. And that's one of the things that I use all the time. Um, we use a, you know, just a super simple, and I know that a lot of people use this, you know, what went, what went well, uh, what could be better, and how do we do that? And it's just like a, a simple very, very easy. Um, they actually, you know, the players that I work with actually fill out, you know, it's like this little form that has, you know, these three, these three uh, boxes of what went well, and it's just one or two things that went well, what could be better, again, one or two things, and how, how, are my, how am I going to do that? And so again, one or two things that you can do. And if you keep doing that every day, then uh, at times I've had players who have said, you know, these things that went well, I want to make sure in the, how do I do it? I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep focusing on those two things because they went really well. And if I keep doing those, I'm going to put myself in a position where I can perform better. Mm -hmm. And do they complete that after every practice or how often? After, do you 
Yeah, so it's after every training session, you know, it's just that it's jotting down one or two things and then and then uh, then then they come up with a plan and, and we go back to what's the process, you know, if, if you're noticing one of the things that I noticed with one of the players in what what could be better, uh, a player kept writing down that, you know, the pain that he had in his knee could, you know, was interfering. And I was like, okay, time to talk to the trainer. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, after after three days of complaining of knee pain that you're not actually reporting, well, maybe we need to look into this. You know. Right. And sometimes we just feel like we got to keep on pushing <laughs> without yeah. you know sitting back and realizing what is bothering us today, and maybe this is an injury I shouldn't keep on pushing through. Exactly. Yeah. Christina, can you describe a signature technique that you use when you think about you know something that's maybe your go-to that helps you? connect with your athletes to help them train their mind? <laughs> uh, there's, 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 there's no one, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's just such a combination of all of these. And I've talked about some of them already, but the one that, you know, one of the ones that I like the best is a possible stressful situation. That's one that's a, you know, it's a possible stressful situation. What do you think and feel? What do you do and what you should do? You know, it's kind of the way it goes. Um, then thinking about uh, the other one is like thinking about the best possible scenario and the worst possible and then somewhere in the middle of that as well you know that we talked about a little bit the the idea of being psychologically flexible uh, goes back to being mindful and doing what matters right and so that goes in with with uh, with a mindful uh, process and so it's about being aware and so another one is you know are you aware of how you're feeling? Because sometimes they don't know that they're angry. They can't name the feeling that they have. And so it's actually about becoming aware of, yes, when I get upset or, or even when I get too excited, you know, I'm so, I'm so excited because I just scored or something and then I completely um, lose myself in that excitement. And then I get, and then I get scored on really quickly again. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And so, and so it's about recognizing emotions. So it's really about being aware of, of, of where you are in the moment and actually taking advantage of the moment that you have. That's so good. So being aware of where you are in the moment and then taking advantage of that moment that you have. Yeah. Christina, I got a, a question for you. So you mentioned, you know, how the best approach failure as a, as a way to learn and grow. And they're even thinking about, you know, after every training session, they're thinking about what went well, what could be better? And then how am I going to, how am I going to do that? So when you think about your career and people might be listening and thinking, gosh, you know, two Olympic games, you've gone to the Olympics, you know, many times as a sports psychologist and it's gone perfectly for you, but can you describe a time that didn't go so well for you and maybe we could maybe even label it as a failure. <laughs> Can you tell us about that story and then like what you learned from it? <laughs> I just think it's so funny that you say that because it's like, nope, it's not that perfect. <laughs> it's not that perfect. And I, I want to ask you that question because just because, you know, well, we are, I was just reading this article about resilience and you can't be resilient without, you can't be resilient without adversity, right? Like you, it's just not something that can happen, but Right. We forget, we forget that sometimes people that we admire, you know, not that not everything has gone perfectly for them. So they maybe made mistakes or, or had times that didn't go so well. So you know, can you think about a time that didn't go so well for you and what you learned from it? Well, yeah. I mean, the 1992 Olympics didn't go well for me at all, you know, and it was a, it was a question of, oh my God, I really don't want to do this. And then, and, and actually thinking I need to go to a different career because I, 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 uh, when I got back from the Olympics in 92, I actually said, I don't want to have anything to do with sports ever again. And, and I end up working for Adidas. So that wasn't really too far away from sports. <laughs> I went into into uh, into um, uh, working working with their public relations, you know. And so it was like, okay, well, and then actually getting into going into my masters and actually talking about it and working with a sports psychologist that actually helped me see, you know, okay, these are things that I could have done differently. These are things that I could do better. And then actually saying, I, I, I really, I love what sports has given me and the things that I've learned from sports. So I actually want to give back and want to get back into it. Um, the, the 2000 Olympic Games, I had an athlete who was doing really, really well and then ended up getting injured and not being able to finish. 
And I was absolutely devastated. And I thought, oh, my God, I, I, you know, this, these Olympics, I, I, I really don't like them. <laughs> so it's so painful. They, they, it's, it's just so hard. And, and part of what makes it, I think that part of what has made me, uh, because I remember being with another psychologist there and saying, you know, with me saying, oh, my God, I can't, you know, it's like, I can't do this. I'm too involved. And, and somebody saying, well, that's why that's why you're good at this because it matters to you and it really does matter to me and it really I really really want uh, the athletes that I'm working with to perform at their best and I've never been a fan if that makes sense like if I, I'm not one of those people that I'm, I'm not like cheering for the team or you know but I, I'm not a fan of the team I'm a fan of the individual and I'm fine of the player I, I'm, I'm a fan of the player that I'm working with and I'm and I and I just want them to perform at their best and I need to keep checking myself to see how am I how am I providing the information that they need so that they can perform at their best absolutely because it's not about me it's about them yeah. You know, Christina, I've, I've kind of struggled with something that you just said where, you know, like a player maybe that you're working with or an athlete you're working with, you know, has, has a difficult experience. So the example you gave was an athlete who, who got injured at the Olympics. It is hard for us not to get kind of like invested in the people that we're working with. I guess what advice would you give to people who, who are listening, maybe working in this field? The psychologist you're working with said, that it was actually a good thing that you were involved, right? That meant mm-hmm. that you got here. Tell us about that balance and how you perceive that. So I, I think that you, as long as uh, the one thing that I can say is, you need to make sure that you don't want that that you don't want it more than they do, because then 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 you're pushing, right? And so it's just being aware of, you know, this is this is I'm I'm invested because you're invested, and so I care about this person and I want them to do well, but I can't be more invested than they are. So that's like a balance that I'm always checking, you know, to make sure that when I get a lot of ifs and buts and <laughs> then I, then I understand that I need to back off a little bit mm-hmm. and I need to let them have their path. No, I, I just think that, so one of the things is if I'm asking you to be aware, I need to be aware of where I am and what I'm feeling and what I'm doing. That's really important. So as a practitioner that we need to be aware, just as we're teaching our clients <laughs> and the athletes that we work with to be aware. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to somebody who is interested in, in working in the field of performance psychology? I think that one of the first things, especially if you're coming into the field, that you understand that that you are not going to be working at the highest level right away and that you actually need to prepare yourself quite a bit before you can work at that level. Um, because one of the things that I keep hearing, especially students, you know, that come in and want to do an internship, it, the first thing they want to know is if they can work with the first team. And I'm like, uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Because you just don't have the experience and you don't have the, you know, so, so actually you actually need to go through the process of learning and you need to volunteer with, with some clubs. If you can, you, you coach for a little bit because you'll understand the, 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 the things that the coaches go through. And actually, if you're at that level, make sure that you, that you ask before you come in and tell what people need to do because that's one of the things that I see as mistakes that, that people in our field make. They go in and, and, and they want to lecture coaches and what they need. And coaches are pretty knowledgeable. So I think that we need to go in and we need to listen to what their needs are before we t- would prescribe what they need. Absolutely. Listen first, right? And then when asked, might you might give your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and, and even then, you need to make sure that you're giving, you know, the appropriate amount of information because you could go into a specific area and, say, and, and think that there's 10 things that you need to change. Um, number one, they're not yours to change. Number two, if you come in with 10, they'll, they'll come back with one and that will be getting rid of you. So, <laughs> so, so you need to make sure that you're, you know, listening and, and, and being conscious of, of, of the environment that you're in. Absolutely. Well, Christina, what kind of final advice would you give to coaches, athletes, business leaders, you know, parents, those people who are listening, who are just interested in mindset and mental training and sports ecology? Um, I think that you, that you need to make sure that you're looking uh, in your area to see if there's a, a professional that can help you because I think that the more you get informed on this, um, the more that we can help you for sure. 
uh, and um, not to not to think about sports psychology as you know you need to uh, it, there needs to be something wrong with you for you to like it's only when you get anxious that you need a sports psychologist I think that we are there to help people perform better to perform at their best and I and I think that everybody can use that yeah that's really important well Christina I just so appreciate your time and your energy and I want to share with you a few things that really stood out to me about our conversation. I loved what you talked about related to being psychologically flexible and having high standards and how the best probably are perfectionists, but they're also flexible at the same time. And then you shared with us a, a situation or a way to help people be more psychologically flexible with your positive, stressful situation. And then you shared with us, you know, the importance of taking responsibility for our behavior and how you see the best athletes do that, why we should focus on the process. And, you know, because that gives us attention to what we can control, helps us stay checked on and, and into what, what we're responsible for. And then you also shared just your final advice for those working in the field and, you know, that they got to continue to improve themselves and continue to just to get better every single day before they expect to work at the highest level. So I just appreciate your time and your energy sharing your wisdom with us, Christina. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Awesome. And tell us how we can connect with you. So there's people who are, who would like to hire you or who are interested in, you know, connecting with you to learn more about what you do. Tell us how we might do that, Christina. So you can email me at cfink, F-I-N-K, at hpsports.com. Okay. And are you on social media? Um, not very much. <laughs> I, I, follow, I follow the advice that I give. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So if you'd like to reach out to Christina, you can do cfink at hpsports.com. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. For more inspiration and to receive Syndra's free weekly videos, check out drsyndra.com.